there's a farmer's market most of the year, and lots of local farmers will bring whatever, and they do it year-round. People freeze their stuff, and they cook it that day. They sell to local restaurants. It's just a way more connected community because you can walk around and you can say, oh, I'm having this lamb burger. It's from the island. And I can say, oh, is it from Lum Farm? Because I know <laughs> that the Lums have the biggest sheep farm on on the island. And they'll be like, yeah, it is. And I'll be like, oh, that's cool. Isn't Eric Lum so cool? And I don't know, like <laughs> the fact that I can trace it back, I know what his farm looks like. And I know I can picture the sheep there, not necessarily <laughs> that I want to, want to but. I'm your host, Dee Dee Madigan, and welcome back to another episode of Home Plates. This episode will be the last episode for a while, but do not worry. I will be back with brand new episodes starting at the end of September when school starts. If you missed a Home Plates episode or you need a little catching up to do, don't worry. All of our episodes are available right here on the Soundbite Network or you can subscribe, even better, on one of the platforms we're on. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. We're going to end this season with a little talk about slow food. And no, it is not the food that you cook in a crock pot. It is all about being mindful of your food. Stay tuned as Jack and I discuss what slow food is and how you can incorporate it into your own life. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a this has been a wonderful third season, the first whole year of Home Plates. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you didn't, let me know. If you did, even better, also let me know. Thank you for listening once again. Be sure to subscribe. This is another episode of Home Plates. Welcome back to another episode of Home Plates. With me today, I have a very special guest who's going to be talking about slow food, which is not just food cooked in like a crock pot. It is a whole other thing. So uh, Jack, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? So my name is Jack Rosillo. I'm from Orcas Island, Washington, and I'm at a senior at the University of Washington. I'm studying journalism and international studies. And I have been into slow food pretty much my whole life because I grew up on a farm on Orcas and I I definitely don't have a super like stereotypical farm experience like it wasn't super rural where we had just tons of plains we weren't planting weed or anything didn't have a ton of animals we had a few chickens got our eggs from that we had a small garden we had a small orchard and we'd get fruit from the trees like apples pears cherries and we had turkeys for a little bit and we only I think I only ate like one turkey maybe when I was younger. But (laughs) yeah, so we didn't have like a, we didn't like fully sustain ourselves off that, but it was just somewhat prevalent in my life. And elsewhere in Orcas, there's a bunch of other families that have farms and gardens and stuff. And it was just a lot more common. And so that's kind of what I think slow food is, is just kind of paying more attention to where your food comes from. Even if it's, if you're not growing it yourself, if, if if you know it's coming from somewhere close to you and it's not some GMO kind of thing, that's being like made, like created, essentially, then that's kind of what I envision slow food being. It's not exactly just cooking it slow <laughs> in the crock pot. Yeah, and I, I, I was reading a little bit about slow food, and 
Uh, I was reading that's actually like a movement, kind of more recent is what I was seeing. It's not just, I feel like, you know, a label, but it was like a movement, right? Of uh, being more mindful, I guess, of where your food came from. Yeah, and uh, you're touching on the movement, and I was reading up a little bit more just so I made sure I got my stuff uh, right. And yeah, the movement, I think, it started in Italy in like the 80s, and uh, it's kind of worked its way out of there. And Italy's always been known for its food, especially I feel like people always equate good ingredients with Italy because they live in such a good climate, and so they're able to grow all those fresh ingredients that are so flavorful and so diverse and make whatever they want. So that's, I think, part of their identity. And I think slow food promotes not only healthy food, but it promotes a region or a country or a people, some people's identity. Because if you're getting your food from only within 30, 50, even up to 100 miles, that's just a small speck on the globe. And so it's pretty distinct because it won't be, for the most part, anywhere else. And so Italy, they're known for their pastas and their wines and their pizzas and breads and all that because they have all those ingredients growing naturally there and they have the climate to produce that in a good amount. And so they don't need to source it from anywhere else. And that is one of the reasons, I think, why it's so good is because when you come to America, there's Italian food, but it's not as good. It's not like there aren't good chefs here. It's the ingredient culture isn't the same. And it's a lot. Uh, the food industry is really built into, I think, American society in the classic cap- capitalistic way where big GMO companies are funding campaigns for political figures and farmland has always been a big thing in American politics and legislation and so all the money that goes into that is really powerful and so it's just started differently in the U.S. as opposed to or in the U.S. like whatever 250, 300 years ago as opposed to in Italy a thousand years ago when people were originally doing that. I think that's really interesting because I think that relates to a lot of what like my guests say too who are like you know grew up in other food cultures in other countries is just the food is so much better back at home because you can get those ingredients like mm-hmm. locally and you know the things that you're eating you know whatever the ingredients are from like that region and so it makes it a lot better because <laughs> it doesn't have to travel super super far away to uh, get to your plate. It's interesting, too, because I think it kind of, you're talking about how it relates to, like, regions and identities and stuff. kind of reminds me of, like, indigenous food sovereignty, too. I don't know, like, you know, how much you know about that, but, like, I can see how they could be kind of related. I I definitely know they're related. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm a Caucasian white male, and so I, and I grew up in the 21st century, (laughs) so I'm not super familiar, I don't have a ton of firsthand experience with indigenous food sovereignty. I know it's been uh, impacted a lot in recent decades, but uh, yeah, I I know on Orcas, for example, uh, there's still like, it's pretty rural, it's fairly undeveloped, and so there's still a lot of native plants and animals up there that have always been cultivated for food or for one reason or another. And so I was up there this last weekend with some friends and along hikes, I was pointing out salmonberry bushes that I usually during the summer pick berries from. And that's been done for hundreds and thousands of years. And in that way, that has kind of always been there. And that's like sovereign, but that's, orcas is very rare. That's not anywhere else. Even in Seattle, you see tons of blackberry bushes, but they're not even healthy enough to produce berries. And so Mm -hmm. you can't eat them. Obviously, there's not salmon really jumping anywhere and so yeah indigenous uh food sovereignty has definitely been impacted negatively i went to the indigenous food sovereignty symposium Mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago and uh heard about people's experience not just in the seattle area but all over um especially with hunting because 
like the development of uh, cities and everything that in roads, especially that impacts like where a lot of not necessarily livestock, but just big game animals can roam. And so those are that's obviously a huge source of food and important protein that people can't get. And so it's going to change. It's going to change the people because um, I did my uh, senior capstone for the international, the Jackson School of International mm-hmm. Studies last quarter, and. We teamed up with Winona LaDuke to... Oh, wow. Uh, That's um, really cool. Yeah, she was really cool. <laughs> she was interesting. She Can was you tell, like, I don't think a lot of people mm-hmm. know who she is. If okay. you're not, like, yeah. part of that, mm-hmm. know of that community. Yeah, so Winona LaDuke is from out in Minnesota. She's part of the uh, Anishinaabe tribe, and she's just a really big, uh, like, indigenous activist. She's done a lot of writing on uh, sustainable economies, and that she's actually... Like, I, I, don't, I don't think she coined that term or anything, but she uses it a lot. And I've definitely been trying to, as I go about my reporting and kind of where I'm focusing, I just want to focus on sustainable economies because it's more than just one thing because everything's related. It's, you got to look at things with a holistic view. And so slow food is a great example of that because slow food not only promotes small business owners and gardens and farmers uh, getting income, but it promotes healthy food habits. You're mitigating climate change by transporting your food less distance and uh yeah and just like i said better food healthy tastes better (laughs) Um, and then with the culture side you're promoting your local region's identity and so when we worked with winona she wanted to introduce hemp back into her region where her tribe lives and so that they used to grow that in the area not necessarily her tribe but more north in canada kind of alberta area and Hemp could be used for construction materials, clothes. They can make the seeds into uh, really protein-rich milk products and like oatmeal and kind of like a meal. So she wants to do all of that uh, to help her tribe in a holistic way to, like I said, all those different things. And so she's written a lot on that because that's helping with the climate change. She would like till the fields with horses and everything. Like she really wants to do the whole sustainable economy thing right and like 100% sustainable. And with that, employing members of her tribe. And so that was really cool. Uh, Me and a bunch of other students, uh, I think there were 11 of us. We spent three months or the whole quarter uh, researching and made a whole like 120 page paper for her <laughs> advising or not not necessarily advising because we wanted to be aware of like we're a bunch of non-indigenous <laughs> students um like giving yeah. advice per se we made recommendations mm-hmm. um and that was also had to do with the legal implications because obviously hemp is related to cannabis mm-hmm. and marijuana and that's all had a crazy history in the U.S. and so it's actually it's super debated now. I know we it was cool to get really into the farm bill, which I know has been really debated and interesting this year. So we'll see how that comes out. So yeah, that's Winona and how cool. we worked with her. She was cool. Look her up if you don't know her. Yeah, she has like there's a bunch of YouTube videos I think of her speaking. She's yeah. awesome. She was the first uh, woman, indigenous woman, to run for or to get a vote for from the Electoral College for Vice President. I didn't know that. Yep. That's pretty cool. She's accomplished. (laughs) I think one of the challenges of, like, you know, slow food is that in my, like, you know, from what I'm seeing right now, and I clearly don't know, I'm learning as we do this podcast, Mm -hmm. um, is the fact that uh, slow food takes, like, time, it seems like, and money. Because when I think about a lot of the restaurants that advertise, like, we source organically and local. A lot of those restaurants are high-end, sort of, you know, Absolutely. upscale. Yeah. And so it's like, mm-hmm. 
you know, only a certain part of the population can have access to that. So how how do you, I guess, democratize slow mm-hmm. food? Yeah, well, I mean, that's definitely a product of the system that we're in, <laughs> uh, the capitalistic system. And so, I mean, like I was saying with before with the whole big ag and everything and how it's woven into our economy and our politics and everything, uh, that's hard to change. And it sucks because I'm fairly blessed like to have grown up in a place where that was very accessible and that's not accessible to the vast majority of people and with that i think people definitely should try to be mindful because it doesn't take a ton like it's more expensive on average but you don't have to go broke eating well you it does take more effort with time i think just as a consumer i think it takes time just researching and experimenting with what your wallet can do and where you can, where you live and what's available to you. But I I mean, in Seattle also, that's a bubble. But I do think that if you're just, if you're really committed, you can find healthier options for food. It can be tough, but you don't necessarily have to break the bank. How do you as a college student try to like practice, like, you know, being mindful and, Mm -hmm. you know, this idea of slow food? Yeah. So first of all, in Orcas, there's no chain there's a couple chain like businesses like there's a key bank in a napa (laughs) but there's no chain restaurants or anything no mcdonald's so i i grew up without that and so i my diet and just my general taste kind of is away from that i've still eaten at mcdonald's before but i don't it's not like i crave it or need to go there (laughs) um and so i think that again i was blessed to just kind of have that natural path i guess but around campus for example things like the co-op that promote communal activities that are centered around food and sustainable food practices. That's the kind of thing that really makes it fun and interesting and accessible because when you spend, I think, at the uh, Humble Feast that was Mm -hmm. last week, you spend seven bucks, which is like, yeah, you can get cheaper meals, but it's also far from the most expensive meal you get. But you get a four-course meal that's organic with a ton of good people around you and Obviously, you don't have to throw a party every time you have a meal, but <laughs> like, just it, that, it's not that hard if you do the work to team up with people, make those connections, put in the work, because it, then it's rewarding. I don't know. I think a lot of the food came from the UW Garden. I know a lot of the people in the co-op are part of the garden, and so they're the ones actually like tilling the ground, planting the seeds, watering stuff, and putting in the work. And so when they get to have throw this party with the work that they've been doing for months on end, that's so fulfilling. And I, I've been there too. I've planted a good amount of food and. To be able to eat it, it's it's good for you to do the activity. It's good for you when you're eating it uh, for your soul. So I think trying to get that just knowledge and like people interested in that because food is ingrained in our lives. Obviously, we need it to eat, but it's be, obviously it has a cultural thing. And so whatever you're doing or whatever the people around you are doing, you're often going to follow that or they're going to follow you. And so if one of you gets involved in healthier practices and not going to McDonald's all the time and <laughs> I don't know, going to, I don't know, farmer's markets are usually like once a week or something, but going to just a place that you know gets their food, uh, sources it locally and healthily. It can go a long way. I didn't get to go to Humble Feast this quarter, but I went fall, was it fall quarter? Mm-hmm. That was like really cool. And like seven bucks for like a multiple course meal. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, and, and usually they have leftovers and they don't want to keep anything. So you can just go back yeah, and get more. Seconds, and yeah, yeah it, it's seven bucks of good food and you can leave full. And the, uh, and the ASU uh, co-op has <coughs> bean basket. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and they have good food for, uh, it's d- grown well and, they sell it affordably and mm-hmm. 
So there, I think there's like a lot of ways of like, I definitely feel like UW has like a lot of research. You just have to mm-hmm. seek them out. And yeah. like you were saying, it might be easier if you get your whole group of friends and mm-hmm. stuff. Cause you know, eating is a very communal thing too. Mm-hmm. And I know my friends and I, we really enjoy like making food together. So mm-hmm. like the, you know, act of doing that, I think can be really uh, fulfilling and bring you together, which is cool. Yeah. Cause that way you're up and walking around yeah. and doing things <laughs> instead of like sitting in a car driving to get your food and eating it you're and doing that alone most of the time I feel like you're like you're being active you're being social eating better it's more memorable exactly too. yeah it, it's that holistic <laughs> holistic view I think with today and like I guess it goes back to just the name of it slow food is just like the fact that we've become so disconnected from where our food comes from and stuff. You know, everything we get at the supermarket is just packaged and like we don't really think about where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's interesting that I feel like a lot of people don't even really think twice about where their food comes from because it's just become a given to us. We buy a packaged sandwich pre-made for us or whatever and or we pop in a frozen meal into the microwave and so it's it's an interesting idea to have to like you know to i guess reconsider and i don't mm-hmm. know if that's difficult for people but you know i don't know well li- i think living in living in america uh mm-hmm. it's you know that mixing pot thing there's a bunch of cultures here and so there's a, at least once we're a couple generations into that like i am uh american food is like what is, what is that like no one really knows <laughs> what that is like obviously there's hamburgers and hot dogs and those are weird variations of other things. Yeah. And there's all the American Chinese food, which is variations of real Chinese yeah. food. And taco, I don't know. Yeah, there's all that. And yeah. so p- that gives a weird connotation. Like, for example, when I was up on Orcas, I was pointing to, uh, we were, me and some friends were up on a mountain looking at uh, Mount Baker and below that, Lummi Island. And mm. Lummi is an Indian reservation up there. And there's a, pretty world it's like pretty famous maybe world famous restaurant called the willows inn and they're one of many restaurants probably around the country that serve american food and it's not just burgers and hot dogs it's uh like steaks but it's in seafood it's that just like the classic kind of grill but in a more classy way and they operate by getting a lot of locally sourced stuff and but they do it also traditionally like the way indigenous people have been preparing their food all over like they cut tree alder trees from a cove they and then they catch salmon in the water from the cove they probably get salmon berries from somewhere else on the island and then cook it all like that and it's just traditional like methods of preparing food there's certain species of potatoes that are only grown in the americas and weren't in Ireland or England mm-hmm. or any of that. And so, and they're different, they're distinct, but it's been overrun. It's it's not dead though. And so going deeper into that and trying to find ways to make it your own, but make it unique and healthy and slow. <laughs> yeah. So you want to talk a little bit more, I guess, about like growing up on the farm maybe and how that maybe influenced, like you already said it, like mm-hmm. that was sort of like, drew you into slow food but yeah. like maybe a little bit more about like you know in depth about growing growing up on the farm and stuff yeah and also disclaimer I'm, I'm no <laughs> saint when it comes to food I've definitely there's a big IGA market on Orcus and it has like <laughs> fried chicken strips and which I, I, I have no clue where that chicken comes from so <clears throat> that's my my fault but uh I think I mean there were a few people who grew up on like 20 acre farms they had their own cows their own pigs fat orchard 
big garden, and they, I, I imagine they could, if they wanted, live 100% off the land. Uh, there is an, one island, Waldron Island, that there's no power over there. Some people have their own solar panels, wow. but it's, it's out there. It's, a, it's <laughs> agrarian as hell, <laughs> and uh, it's a little creepy. <laughs> Fam- a few families have been out there for few generations uh, <laughs> doing things. But uh, yeah, it's like the kind of place where they have their cow they cow or two they butcher every year for the winter and they wow. store it. They've dug their own wells. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really cool. And that's, that's not what Orcus is. There's roads <laughs> and everything. Um, but just the prevalence of it. I'd say like there's a farmer's market most of the year and Lots of local farmers will bring whatever, and they do it year-round. People freeze their stuff, and they cook it that day. They sell to local restaurants. It's just a way more connected community because you can walk around and you can say, oh, I'm having this lamb burger. It's from the island. And I can say, oh, is it from Lum Farm? Because I know <laughs> that the Lums have the biggest sheep farm on on the island. And they'll be like, yeah, it is. And I'll be like, oh, that's cool. Isn't Eric Lum so cool? And <laughs> I don't know, like <laughs> the fact that I can trace it back, I know what his farm looks like and I know I could picture the sheep there, not necessarily <laughs> that I want it want to, but <laughs> it's knowing that it tastes so good and that I know where it's coming from and that it's not even I mean, even if it's getting killed to be eaten, it's living in this beautiful place in this pasture and it's yeah. living a real, real life as opposed to being shoved up against something another up like thousands of other sheep and being treated and uh, badly and fed horrible food and Mm -hmm. just not even seeing the light of day. And I don't know, there's so many examples of that. Like I hated oysters forever. (laughs) And then I went to the farmer's market one day when I was like 12, someone bought me a fried oyster from the guy who's always (laughs) sold fried oysters and I loved them. And now they're easily one of my top 10 favorite foods. Mm -hmm. I would kill for an oyster. (laughs) I was pissed when the guy wasn't there this last weekend. (laughs) But so I would just say it's just, More people, they definitely have the space to have the gardens Mm -hmm. um, up there. Again, that's part of the accessibility issue. We're dealing with overpopulation and climate change is making the earth smaller or the available land smaller. And so it's tough. It's definitely something we have to deal with. But that's another reason why you have to look at it from a holistic view. Like if you can work with the community to make it more efficient for the whole state, whether that's by taxes or laws, or by just making people aware with your local big newspaper. All, all those things, they gotta be dealt with if we're gonna make slow food more prominent, and, which I think is a good idea. <laughs> it's hard to argue with, in my opinion. Well, why do you think that idea of slow food has maybe been slow to catch on in, I feel like, more of the mainstream, besides like all the hipster restaurants mm-hmm. that advertise their locally mm-hmm. sourced food? But uh, I guess, uh, I don't know, it goes back to the whole capitalism thing, but do you mm-hmm. want to talk more about like maybe why you think there hasn't been that much progress, I guess, mm-hmm. for supporting slow food yeah. movements in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it's hard to break out of that cycle. And I think humans by nature want to flaunt what they know. Like they're, they're, they're braggy creatures, and we want to show what we know is prominent. And so if eating at this prominent restaurant, which isn't necessarily health slow or whatever, um, that's hard to break. But I also think that that's, there is hope for that because I think that is becoming, there is gaining awareness for that. And when I was interning at Seattle Met Magazine, they, their restaurant of the year uh, that they chose when I was there was Bateau Restaurant or Bateau Cafe. I think it's just Bateau. <laughs> but it's in Capitol Hill. It's a French restaurant. It's a steakhouse. And 
I've eaten there once because I have a friend from Orcas who I grew up with, and he's one of the sous chefs there. And he gave me a pretty sweet deal on it. It's, <laughs> it's n- far from the cheapest place to eat in Seattle. It, it was a, definitely a special occasion and probably the most expensive meal I've eaten. But it was easily the best meal I've had, and it was locally sourced within 40 miles, I think, everything. And he told me to, they have like a 98.5% food waste. Like they only waste a, f- a percent and a half of their food. Um, it's like if they have a banana, they use most of the peel kind of yeah. <laughs> for something. I didn't have any banana, so I wasn't eating the peel. <laughs> but, uh, and yeah, and so that was really cool. But because it has the it has the traction from being like Seattle Met's not huge, but it's pretty big within Washington. And it getting the publicity that it got from being the restaurant of the year, it, they got so popular so fast. And in Seattle, I think, again, that it's a bubble. People want to live healthier lives than I think most of the country. They're also, it's a fairly affluent city, and so they're able to. By people going there and wanting to go there, it, it spreads that, that good recommendation of a slow food restaurant. And it spreads the idea because people leave there so happy and they talk about it, like me right now. Like, <laughs> there's, there's a reason it's so good, and there's a reason I want to talk about it. And so, I don't know, it's, it's tough, and I definitely don't have like a single <laughs> recommendation for what we can do. I think just being more conscious, and that's so wide, but just actually trying to, like when you talk the talk, then go and walk the walk, and also just start starting that talk is really important, because I think just talking about it gets people thinking, people's actions can follow, and hopefully they do cool things. Um, cause it can come from any end. It could be someone who's a politician, someone who's a chef, someone who's, I don't know, it, like food management comes from a lot of different angles. And so any way can make a positive difference. If you were to give like students wanting to be more mindful of their mm-hmm. food, like three pieces of advice of easy ways mm-hmm. how they could like maybe take steps to mm-hmm. like be more conscious, mm-hmm. what would you like recommend they do? At least a couple of them will be basic pieces of advice. I mean, go to farmer's markets because none of those people are driving more than 100 miles, probably around 40 or something. Like they're coming from out of the city. But they're driving a long way, and they are serving good food, and they are serving a lot of people usually. They're, they usually have a dedicated base of customers. And if you can join that bandwagon, you're promoting small businesses, you're obviously feeding yourself healthier food because most of the farmer's market participants are serving organic, really healthy, good food. Along with that, uh, I know like uh, imperfect produce and things Mm -hmm. like that is a big thing because you're just, you're cutting down on food waste that the big stores like Safeway and them would do because they totally, they don't want to deal with flies or rotting food. So if anything has the risk of not having a like normal shelf life or even selling and that because it looks ugly then that's just straight up wasteful and so doing stuff like that just again just getting aware like a lot of people don't know what imperfect produce is and so just getting aware trying it out that's a big thing i would say don't be afraid to splurge on food food is like it's it's up there on human survival (laughs) you know it's like we need sleep we need warm and dryness and food. (laughs) And so going out and not going to McDonald's and going to a place that is, yeah, is a little more spendy, but that you can have a good time, a good intimate time with people you love or, and you know, you're going to feel good after when you leave because it's healthy and you're getting the proper diet that you want. Like not just 
a burger which has mostly carbs and unhealthy <laughs> meat and salt and all that stuff. And so you're actually getting like a real salad that was picked that morning or a day before and it wasn't grown with GMOs. That stuff goes a long way. And even just by cutting a little bit out and bringing a little bit of the good stuff in can go a long way. Simple things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, small baby steps. Um, all right, Jack, uh, I won't keep you for much longer, but I always like to ask my guests mm -hmm. uh, for a favorite food memory. So it can be about anything, doesn't have to be related to what we were talking about, just a memory that has to do with food that makes you really happy to think about. Okay, well, I came in here uh, obviously ready to promote Bateau, and I already mentioned them. <laughs> so I want to bring up, people should definitely try Bateau, even if they're just stopping in for a small appetizer, which will still cost 20 bucks. <laughs> um, no, but something else is I, uh, after my freshman year, I studied abroad in Spain, in San Sebastian, up in the Basque country. And it was easily one of the best couple months of my life. It's about the same climate as here in Washington. It's like a, a little bit warmer, but it's rainy they have real seasons so when i was there in the summer it was mostly nice which was really cool but they also because of that unique climate really prominent temperate climate they can grow a lot of food and so and they're on the coast so they have a bunch of seafood that's where paella was invented and so i had a lot of really good fresh food there it's not a, uh, close to any major cities like san sebastian i would say is a tourism city but it's not huge it's mm -hmm. not industrial or anything um so it's fairly small but you can just go out in the countryside and just like apples are a really big deal in Washington, apples are a really big deal there. And so they have cider houses. And we went to a, my program and I went to a cider house and there you just pay a, like, I know it's not, again, it's not the cheapest, but you pay like 20 euros or something, 25 euros. And you get this seven course meal and then you get unlimited cider. <laughs> and all the ciders from within probably 10 miles, all these, because it's rural as hell, there's tons of farms all with these orchards. We had toured a, a fa factory for cider earlier and got to see where it came from. And we got to have cod that was from the coast 40 miles away. We got to have nuts that were picked like 20 miles away. Obviously the cider and it was tremendous, it was excellent. And so that was really cool because I knowing, seeing the factory and seeing how they made the cider, they've been doing that with the same technology for more than a thousand years. And so just to be able to do that and know that we were getting this amazing food in this fun way, because it's the kind of thing where like, they have these huge barrels of cider, they're like 12 feet tall and they have a hole in them and you like pull out the cork and it spills out and you have to get in a line, everyone with their cups and you, cider spilling out and you have to catch it and that's why you're in a line so that once you leave, there's someone there to replace you. And it's, it's this really fun communal activity. And then you leave so happy, you've been walking around. Like there, you're only supposed to fill the cider like two finger widths so that it doesn't aerate, so it tastes better. Mm -hmm. But that way you're also refilling a lot more. So you're not sitting there with a huge pint for a half an hour or whatever, <laughs> drinking it. You're getting up every 10 minutes. to So you're getting up, walking around, keeping the blood flowing, <laughs> saying hi to people as you walk by. It's a, I don't know, an old tradition to yell chuch. <laughs> which is kind of like their cheers, but it's also like a call to like, hey, who else wants to fill up? And I don't know. It's just a really cool culture. Like they really make food important and they're willing to go that extra mile because of value uh, to make their food good and like taste good, make sure it's well sourced and because it's just more ingrained in their society. And I know, I, like I said, I was kind of grew up where people would just go crabbing. That was their daily activity. All you need to do is eat the crab. You're going to survive till the next day. You're not going to be any worse or better off. <laughs> but you're gonna have a good ass steak. So you're gonna be outside crabbing and then eating delicious crab. 
And so, I don't know, just don't get caught up in life. Know that you got to eat at the end of the day and know that food is fuel. So put good fuel in your body and slow food's a huge way to get there. So, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's just a really awesome conversation about Mm -hmm. slow food. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Yeah. I had a great time. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Home Plates. Seattle Seahawks have the best offensive line in NFL history. Kyle Seeger is the better Seeger brother. Markel Fultz is the best player on the Sixers. Hashtag trust the process. Okay, we don't actually believe any of these things, but if you want to hear our thoughts on topics like these, tune into the Boxing Podcast with Chris Ankiko, Alec Dietz, and Andy Amashta every Friday on the Soundbite Network. I'm Aiden Walker. And I'm Blake Peterson. Together, we host a podcast called Cinema Adventure, where we discuss movies with important guests, talk about their favorite movies, and recommend movies that you may have never heard of before. So join us every other Monday on the Soundbite Network so we can film you in. Uh, Wasn't that good? It was really good. It's a good pun, isn't it? For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.